this evening, we're going we're gonna to look at this portion of Scripture here as we're moving through this book of Corinthians. Corinthians was a church, and it was a city. The church at Corinth was one that Paul loved deeply, but one that burdened him greatly. Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? He loved these people. He had great joy in them, but he also had great anguish in them. And what he's trying to do is help them. And he's trying to help them in a certain area that we're going to deal with this evening. Someone said this. Someone said, if pride can be called an illness, it's safe to say that the Corinthians had an epidemic on their hands. <laughs> let, me, let me quote that again. It's, it's been said that if pride can be called an illness, it's safe to say the Corinthian believers in Corinth some 2,000 years ago had an epidemic on their hands. How do, we, how do we know that? We know that because three times in this chapter, and then once very early in the next chapter, Paul uses this term, puffed up. Puffed up. So look at, just let me look at that, and then we'll read this, whole, this portion together. But I want to I show you. Look at chapter 4. Verse 6, it says, it says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sake, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be, notice, puffed up. Puffed up. Look at verse 18 of this chapter. He says, And some of you are puffed up. Isn't that something? And then in chapter, uh, in verse 19, but I will come to you and shortly, shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. Now we're kind of getting a, a theme here of a problem in the Corinthian church. And, and just to throw this one in for good measure, we come to the next chapter, chapter 5, verse 2, and it says this, are you, are, are, uh, and, and you are puffed up, so four times in a, va a very short space, Paul is dealing with a pride issue here. So let me read all of this together. I'll begin in verse 7, and then we'll, we'll exegete this passage this evening. Here's what he says. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. And may the Lord bless his word as, he re as we read it together. For who makes you differ from another? It's a question. And what do you have that you do not receive? That's another question. Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? Another question. Verse 8. Now, now, now he's, Paul, by the way, in these verses, are gonna, he's speaking sarcastically here. Here's what he says. You are already full! Exclamation point. You are already rich! Exclamation point. You have reigned as kings with us. And indeed, I could wish that you did reign, that we also might reign with you, exclamation point. He's serious here. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last. Now notice this. Paul's been saying, puffed up, puffed up. You're puffed up. But then Paul said, look what God's, look, look, what, look what us apostles are doing. We're last. As men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both of men and of, of angels and of men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. So sarcastic, by the way. 
We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. You are, uh, uh, to, the, to the present hour, we both hunger and we thirst. We're poorly clothed. We're beaten. We're homeless. And we labor working with our hands, being reviled. We bless, being persecuted. We endure, being defamed. We entreat. We have been made the filth of the world. The off-scourging of all things until now. The off-scourging. Remember the, as, a, as a, a, a fry pan and you scrape the stuff off? That's kind of what it means here. We're the off-scourging of all things until now. Let's talk about the problem of pride. It's a problem in all of our lives. And it was certainly a problem in this church here. Paul is using a, a word here. He's using a Greek word here that we get the word bellows from. From You remember what a bellow is? Bellows? A bellows is an instrument, an older instrument, that they would use and they would pump air into something. And Paul is basically saying here to these Corinthians that someone has taken the bellows and inflated them with pride. They're an inflated people. Not humble, but inflated people. Now, how did it happen? Well, there's a, there's a verse in Colossians that kind of gives us uh, a little bit of an insight. Colossians 2.18 says this, talking about the false teachers. Here's what it says. They were vainly, here the, here's the word again, they were vainly puffed up in their fleshly mind. Now think about that word. They were vainly puffed up in their fleshly mind. Now who did this to the Corinthians? No one did. They did it to themselves. Their own minds had puffed themselves up. In other words, wrong thinking about Jesus, wrong thinking about the gospel, wrong thinking about themselves, most of all. And in their own minds, they were puffed up with pride and with arrogance. And they, they were, in a sense, there again, we're back to the wisdom of the world. So what they were doing, they take the wisdom of the world, and they were mimicking what the world was doing. And there again, as I've said several times in this series, and by the way, this is the 10th teaching I've done on this, but they were mimicking the culture. They were taking the, the wisdom of the culture, the false wisdom of the culture. They were looking out at the culture, and they were adopting those things and bringing that in the church. And so what's Paul going to do? Paul wants to break this down. He wants to get the puffed up spirit out, the pride spirit out, and he wants them to humble themselves. He wants to see... He wants them to see the true nature of the gospel. He wants to see the true nature of the ministry. And so that's what he's going to do. And he's now, he's focusing on them now. He's, he's turning the searchlight on them. And then what he's doing is he's showing them this, that pride is never more sickening than when it shows up in our Christian lives. It's out of place. It contradicts the grace of God. So what Paul's going to do, and I won't be long, but what Paul's going to do is three things. And these will each be brief. Three things. First of all, Paul is asking them three questions. I'm going to go back through these three questions briefly. Secondly, what Paul's going to do, he's going to address a false view of the Christian life. And by the way, a 2,000-year-old writing, but it's very up-to-date with a lot of what we see today in Christendom. And then Paul's going to point to himself, and he's going to look at his own experience, and he's going to say, look at what we're experiencing, Okay? And some of this, he's kind of sarcastic in some way. So let's look at the three questions. 
First of all, Paul says this. He says, for who makes you to differ from one another? What makes you different? You know, there's people that want to always stand out and kind of be out from, that's a pride spirit. But he says in verse 7, if you look at that, he says, and he asks, for who makes you to differ from another? Well, the truth is they were different. And the truth is that you're different. We're different. You know, Sunday we talked about you, you once walked this way. We talked about the, the pain of your past life. Then Paul said, but yet, yet he said he's quickened you. He's raised you in Christ. The truth is, when Paul asked the question, what makes you different from another? They were different, and they were to live different, but they weren't living differently. But Paul was saying this. Paul was saying, in a sense, that their new position in Christ and all that God has done, and I, I thought about chapter 1. I won't read all that for time's sake. But Paul is talking about in chapter 1, the first nine verses, he talks about the grace of God that had been brought into their lives. He talks about the, the grace and the, the, the God, they've been sanctified in Christ and the, the work of the Spirit of God. God had done such a marvelous work in their lives. And how much credit could they take for it? None. Because they were saved by grace. Everything that had happened in their lives was by the grace of God. They've been saved by God's amazing grace and now they owe everything to God. And by the way, we owe everything to the Lord. Amen? And Paul in the first chapter quotes a verse out of Jeremiah. I want to quote it. I want to read it out of Jeremiah and then read it back again in Corinthians. Because we're getting to this theme, the, the problem of pride. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 4 says this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, and that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. And then in chapter 1 of Corinthians, Paul takes Jeremiah's word from the Holy Spirit. In chapter 1, verse 29 and 31 through 31, he says that, remember this, that no flesh will glory in his presence. But of him, you are in Christ, who became for us, Christ, wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. And then here's the quotation out of Jeremiah, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. What do you have that you have not received? Here's the second question, also in verse 7. What do you have that you did not receive. Notice the first question was, what makes you differ from another? The first question related to their salvation. The second question relates to everything in life. So absolutely nothing can we take credit for in life. Everything we have is from the Lord. John, John MacArthur in his commentary said this, and I'll quote. He said, if you have good parents, God gave them to you. If you live in a good country, God did it for you. If you have a good mind, a good creative mind, God gave it to you. We have no reason to boast either in people or possessions. Everything we have is on loan from the Lord. Everything to us, I'm sorry, entrusted to us for, uh, for, while, for, for us and for using to serve him, end quote. That's right. What do you have? What makes you differ from one another? Salvation, God did that. We didn't save ourselves. What do you have that you haven't received? God did that. 
So in other words, we have nothing to glory in but the Lord. Here's the third question, also in verse 7. He says, now if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? If, everything, if your salvation is from God, if everything you have is from God, then why, if you received it, why do you boast in anything as if you, if you, as if you didn't receive it? So that, that means this. People who receive a gift get no credit for the gift, right? It's always the giver who gets the credit. You know, somebody doesn't give you a gift and then you go, oh, well, thank me for that. Right? What do we say? We always say, thank you, right? So they said, if you received a gift, why, why do you act as if you didn't receive it? Monday I was here and some African people came in. They called me and they said, Brother Charles, we want to come and we, we have something for you. And so they came and they gave me an African outfit. Now, I don't know where I'm going to wear an African outfit, but maybe on missions day. I told them, I said, How can, I'll have you come preach and I'll wear your African outfit. But they blessed me and I did not say, well, thank me for that gift. No one says that. We hope the Corinthians were saying it. But we say, thank you. Why? Because there is no giver. There's no gift without a giver. And the giver always gets the credit. So all the good in our lives, salvation and all the blessing of the Lord, the Lord did that. That's from the Lord, not us. So think about this. The Corinthians had not only received salvation from the Lord, but they, all these preachers that they were boasting in, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus, I'm of Cephas, etc. The Lord says through Paul, those are also God's gift to you. You're clustered up in these, in these favorite preachers. And that, by the way, that was exactly what the Greek culture did. The Greek culture would, these groups would surround all these philosophers and, and this group would say, well, I like my philosopher better than you and, and this one's better than you and my group's better than your group, etc. And that same spirit came in the church. Instead of changing and seeing all the ministers as God's gifts, they were clustered up in little divisive groups and we like Paul, we like Cephas. So you see what happens? They took the philosophy of the world, they brought in the church and Paul is saying to the Corinthians, not only is your salvation from the Lord, but those ministers, those ministers, every single one of them are God's gift to the church to mature the church. Ephesians 4, 11 says, and he, Jesus gave, what? Some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So the Corinthians, instead of being high and mighty and taking credit, the Lord gets all the credit. Amen? So instead of looking down their noses, they need to be grateful and give God all. Everybody say all. Give him all the glory. So Paul asks these three questions. What makes you differ? What, did you, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, why do you act as if you didn't receive it? So what's he dealing with? He's dealing with their pride. So let's look at this second thing this evening. Let's look at this false view of Christianity. Now, now we get home. Now we get to the 2000. You know, 18, where we live today. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying to the Christians, he said they were, they were acting as if they were already reigning. You read that in the text. Already full, already reigning. They were acting as if they're already in the millennial kingdom. In other words, they were acting like they'd already arrived. So they were acting as if they were, there were to be no struggles in the Christian life, no suffering, no difficulty. 
It was, they, what, what did they have? They had a false view of Christianity. I've often said where misinterpretation of Scripture comes from many times is we're taking things that belong to one age and we're trying to bring it in this age. How many of those things are going to happen in the next age, after the coming of the Lord, after we're in the age to come, that we're not going to fully experience in this age? You know, we're not Israel. We don't, we're not under the law like Israel. We're not under all that because we're in the new age. We're in the New Testament. But we're also not in the millennial reign. So what's happened in the Corinthians is a lot of what happens to Christians today. And I'm going to tell you, it's why a lot of Christians get discouraged. Why a lot of believers get knocked off the wagon, so to speak, is because they don't understand the real view of Christianity. This was a false view, and Paul is saying, I want to show you the real view of Christianity. So what, the, what were they doing? They were, if you would have looked at the Corinthians, they would have gave, given you the impression they were at ease, they were enjoying everything, there was no serving, there was no sacrifice. The whole thing was just one long fun celebration. They had already triumphed, they were already in the kingdom, no more battles. And Paul comes along and says, hmm, something's, something's wrong in the church. How did it happen? It happened because their, their minds were distorted. The scriptures were distorted in their minds, and it promoted a false view. So let's come to the modern day. How, it, this kind of thing is in the modern church today. You can hear it on radio. You can see it in, in different, not, not a lot, but some. It's, you know, I, I, I've seen enough in the in the. The, the late 70s, 80s, all through the 80s, a lot of this stuff went on. But here's, here's the thing. The essence, the essence of this false view is this, is that, that, that it's Christians, there's never any suffering, no sacrifices, that we're going to have all the health we need, all the wealth we need, no struggles, etc. And in fact, when this gets in people, when this gets in people, if you go through a struggle, they're going to say, well, you know, something's wrong with your faith. If you go through a struggle, you're going through difficulty, you know, either sin in your life or something's wrong in your life, but that's not a right view. How I many you know there is trouble in this world? In this world, in this world, Jesus said it. Any higher authority than that? I don't think so. In this world, you're going to have thalipsis. That's pressure. Paul said, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It doesn't happen every day. I'm not saying every day is, a, is, is the worst trial you're going through. But I'm telling you, if, if the New Testament church in this modern age, if we're never getting any persecution, we're never getting any suffering from this broken world, maybe we've got the wrong brand of Christianity. Maybe we've got a, a distorted view. And that's what Paul's dealing with here with these. To hear, to hear many people tell it, Christianity is just simple. Fly, fly, apply a few principles, you know, it's all, it's all good. And people are almost flippantly about this. You know, just pray, just, just be happy, you know, almost like it's child's play. But it's not child's play. We're in a warfare. We're in a, we're in a battle for the soul of the church, for the souls of people, for the souls of men. We're in this battle, but are we in the battle? The Corinthians weren't on the battle. They weren't in the battle. They were on the sidelines. They had this distorted view of Christianity. There was fleshly pride. There was carnality. And Paul said, no, no, no. Well, no, we apostles are in the battle. Look what we're going through. 
you guys are not in the battle. You guys are in the, on the playground. But he said, you need to get in the battleground. You need to take up the armor on the right hand, right hand and the left, and you need to get into the battle. We've often heard of the danger of seduction. The world, the flesh, and the devil always seeking to pull us back and pull us down. But there's another danger, and that's the danger of not seduction, but of reduction. The temptation to reduce Christianity to something that it's not. You hear that? To reduce Christianity to something that it is not. Now here's the temptation. It's the temptation, and we've got to resist it, to leave out this word sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. See, what we want to do, a lot of people want to go from justification to glorification, but there's, there's a whole missing part. There's a whole one-third missing. We don't go from justification to glorification. We go from justification through sanctification and then to what? Glorification. But the Bible says sanctification comes between the two. Here's what Jesus said, the offer. You want the offer? You want Jesus' offer? Here's Jesus' offer, Mark 8, 34 through 38. When he called the people to himself, here's all these people. Here's Jesus. He called them, and he says this. He says to his disciples also, he turned to them, and he said this. Here it is. Whosoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of of his father and with his holy angels. So in other words, it's not justification, glorification. Notice what Jesus says here. Jesus says, do you want to follow me? Justification. That's when we start following him. The moment we're justified, the moment we're saved, that's the only mark gets set go. That's not the end. Then there's a cross to pick up. How many churches across the Metroplex tonight are telling their people the truth. If you're going to really follow Jesus, there's a cross to pick up. And, and you pick it up and you carry it. You follow Jesus with the cross. So when you think of a cross, what do you think of? Do you think of like the Corinthians, just having a good time, just everything's great, no problems? Or when you think of a cross, do you think of nails? Do you think of pain? It's one of the most excruciating instruments of torture the world has ever known. The Persians invented it. The Romans perfected it. The cross. So here's Jesus, our Savior and Lord, God, the Son, says, do you want to follow me? Take up your cross. Pick it up. And then when my Father comes and when we're there, he's, he's going to, there's going to be a day of glorification. There's going to be a day of well done, good and faithful servant. But not if you're like the Corinthians. Not if you act like you're reigning now. We're in the now. We're not in the, the glorified state. I think of Jacob. 
in the Old Testament who illustrates the process of painful sanctification. You know, sanctification is a painful process. Whom the Lord loves, what does he do? He corrects them. And it was, it was in that moment in Genesis 32 where Jacob is wrestling with the Lord. He's wrestling with that angel. And he's crippled. And, and through that crippling, he's changed from Jacob to Israel. And I find that that's a pretty apt illustration of the process that we go through. So what's Paul talking about? He's talking about the pride that had gotten in these Corinthian people. These are God's people. This is the church. But it's a church in crisis. I mean, if you would have gone to this church, they, they would have thought they were the most spiritual ones. I'm sure they'd have big Bibles. Not really. They didn't have, you know, but you know what I'm saying. That's, that's, it, it would have just been this, I, I could just, this is an air of arrogance and self-sufficiency. And Paul asked them these three questions. And then Paul confronts this distorted view of Christianity and what following Christ is. It's a total change of life. It's a total change of thinking. It's not a sub-kingdom. The kingdom of God is a counter-kingdom. The kingdom of God is taking over. The, the violent take it by force. The kingdom of heaven suffers violent. The violent take it by force. Jesus didn't ask permission. He's coming and taking over. He served notice on Satan's kingdom. And there's violence, spiritual violence. And there's, there's pain in this. There's suffering in this. Somebody says, it's easy to serve the Lord. That's the biggest lie I've ever heard this side of heaven. It's painful if you got the real brand. And so Paul addresses this pride issue in these people that he loved. And then Paul, he points out his own experience and the experience of all the early apostles. See, here's the great apostle Paul. To me, I don't, I don't know all the folks that ever lived for Christ. We, in fact, we know very few, really, compared to all the millions who've lived throughout the last 2,000 years but as I've read the Apostle Paul, read his writings, read his story, read biographies on him, uh, Pollock has a real great biography on him. I don't know a greater Christian ever. I don't know of a greater person that epitomized Christianity than Paul. And here's Paul, and he's, the Corinthians are, he's saying to them, you guys are full, you guys are reigning, you guys are this. But Paul didn't feel very full. He, didn't, he, didn't, he said, I'm not reigning. And he's saying it with irony. He said, I wish, verse 8, I wish we were reigning with you. You're reigning. We wish you were reigning with you. You're reigning. And that's without us. We're not reigning. Because Paul knew this, that to reign would mean he could throw down the battle, throw down the armament. He could, he could you know, be done with what he's experiencing. The battle wasn't over. They were acting like kings. Paul was like a pauper, you see. Verse 10, he says, he says, whereas men condemned to death. Verse 10 says, we're like a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men, 410 of Corinthians. See, we know what, I mean, to us, a spectacle is some kind of unusual thing. They knew what Paul meant when he used the word. We're like a spectacle. Here's what Paul's saying he was. 
when a king would go conquer another town, another village, another kingdom, he would come back in. The king would be riding on his chariot first. All the warriors would follow the king in their chariots. The back group would be the prisoners chained, just following along. Paul said, that's us. We're the spectacle. We're the spectacle. We're the prisoners. And then he describes just three categories of things that he's experienced as an apostle. He says, we've suffered personal indignities. Verse 10, fools for Christ's sake. Think about that. Do you want to be a consider in this world a fool? You're a, you're a fool for Christ's sake. That's how Paul was treated, a fool. Then he also says, in verse 11, he talks about physical deprivation, hard work, homelessness, rough treatment, hunger, thirst, tattered clothes. The other night we were out watching a soccer game down in Dallas. I only made half of it. It was so cold out there. It's like this, probably 10 or 15 fields. You know, they're out, you know, soccer fields 100 to 110 yards, and they're big, and there's probably 10 or 15 of these fields. So we're out in a huge area, and I've got this blanket. I've got, you know, a coat on, leather jacket, then I have a blanket over my head. Like a, when I'm like, I'm freezing. I, I told them, I'm done. I'm going to the car about halfway through. Well, we drive away, and we go down, and we come to this, this turning lane. And there's a homeless person. And it's cold. I mean, I've stood out there for an hour, and I'm cold. Here's a homeless person that's going to be out there all night. And he's sitting in the middle of the intersection on a little concrete median area. He's sitting on a five-gallon bucket. He's just sitting there. You know what that makes me think of? This, this text right here. This text right here. Paul, the apostle. Mercedes... All the money he needs, Armani suits. Oh, no, 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 no. Homeless. The great apostle. Here are the Corinthians, puffed up, full of pride. Act like they're reigning. Act like there's no suffering, no service to God, no surrender, no giving of ourselves. And yet Paul said, working with our hands, homeless prisoners. Hmm. And then he says in verse 12 and 13, uh, I would call it social ostracism. He says, being reviled, persecuted. Slandered, regarded as the filth, like the dirt on the bottom of a dirty pot. Hmm. Why did Paul talk like this? Was he on an ego trip? Was he like... Look at, look at how much better I am than you. No, that wasn't the apostle's heart at all. He was trying to get to the heart of the issue in these people. He wanted them to grow. He wanted them to surrender to Christ. And he was trying to bring, bring them to a place of repentance. A place of brokenness. He was trying to take them from here in their attitude down to here. For they would humble themselves. 
Notice what Paul says, and I'm, I'm done. Paul said this. Here's kind of what his thinking is. If the apostles were the foundation of the church, according to Ephesians 2.20, they served, they suffered, they sacrificed in deep humility, how in the world should their converts think that they could do anything different? That's kind of his flow. That's his, that's his mindset. This is what we're going through. Why are you not going through the, wrong, the same thing, Paul would say, in a sense. Paul was saying, in a sense, that the Corinthians were reigning as kings. They were reigning without the apostles, verse 8. He said, you're reigning in that without us. In other words, here are we, the apostles, and yet you act as if you're the finish line, but we're still out in the race. You, you, act, you, you act like the game's over. You're on the sidelines. We're still in the game. How I many you know? Now, think about this. The game's still on, church. I'm talking to us now here. The game's still on. Still lost people. Still living in a simple world. Still a church to build. So we've got to get in the game. Question is, how much like the Corinthians are we? If we have this kind of pride, it's because we've forgotten one thing, and that is the grace of God. And grace means we have nothing to boast in. Amen? Because everything we have is from our Lord. You're going to face difficulties, problems, trials. And here's the thing. God doesn't always remove those things, but he's with us in them. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And we can trust him. Through the ups and downs. There's going to be ups and downs. But we can trust him. He's a faithful God. And he was with Paul. And he'll be with us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this teaching tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus. Forgive us, Lord. We're a lot like these people. We're a lot like these people. A lot more than we think. Father God, I thank you for Paul. I thank you for the Apostle Paul. I thank you for his life. Lord, you, you, you wrung him out. You, you wrung all of Paul out, all of Saul out, and he became Paul. Father, we just acknowledge you tonight. I don't know of anything else to do but just to say thank you for grace. Everything we have... It's by your grace. We are saved by your grace. We are kept by your grace. We are supplied by your grace. Lord, and we'll be taken home to heaven by grace. Lord, we exalt your incredible grace this evening. And Lord, we just thank you. We bless you. We glorify your name. Lord, take these few feeble words that we've said tonight and just help us to apply them as you see fit in each of our lives, Lord. Bless your work, exalt your name, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. You're dismissed in the Lord.